This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, Lucille Ball stars in My Favorite Husband as Liz Cougat, and she's baking a cake for the charity bazaar, but she might have to think of another way of raising funds. Let's join her and George in the episode, The Kissing Booth. We present My Favorite Husband, a new series based on Isabel Scott Rorick's gay, sophisticated Mr. and Mrs. Cougat, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. Ten years ago, polo-playing George Cougat married debutante Elizabeth Elliot. It was a beautiful wedding, and of course, every wedding has its pranksters, friends of the bride and groom who do cute little things to launch the marriage with a laugh. Hey, Corey, I tied to just married signing the tin cans on back of the car. <laughs> Fine, Norman. I drained the gas tank to kind of slow him up a little. What did you do, Ed? I've taken off the wheels. <laughs> Good. Now help me lift the hood, you guys. What are you going to do, Corey? They won't need it. Let's take out the motor. <laughs> well, it was all in the spirit of fun, and no one really got mad. George didn't. Oh, I got a big kick out of it. I laughed and slapped Corey on the back with a jack handle. <laughs> and Liz thought it was a lot of fun. Oh, it was jolly. We had a lovely honeymoon right in front of the house. <laughs> well, that was ten years ago. Now the Cougats are just George and Liz, still happy, two people who live together and like it. There's the suburban home of the Cougats, that big brick one with the two chimneys silhouetted against the afternoon sky. Wonder what's going on inside. Don't see George around anywhere. Oh, he's probably still at the bank. But Liz is home. There she is in the kitchen with Katie, the maid. What's this? Liz Cougat wearing an apron and cooking. Careful taking it out of the oven, Katie. Oh, I'm being careful, Mrs. Cougat. Oh, I'm... So proud, Katie. It's a beautiful cake, and I made it all by myself. Oh, it is beautiful, Mrs. Cougat. But look at the lump in the middle. Yes. Katie, you don't suppose... What, Mrs. Cougat? I haven't seen the cat for the past hour. <laughs> it couldn't be the cat, ma'am. It doesn't have a tail. <laughs> Maybe the shortening wasn't short enough. Well, the lump seems to be going down. I think it's settling. Katie, I think we had a blowout Oh, it just dropped a little Nothing a new cake won't fix Oh, Katie, now what am I going to contribute to the charity bazaar tonight? Look at that cake Well, maybe you can make it into something useful, ma'am Like a lampshade <laughs> 
Oh, dear, not only my cake is a failure, but my fudge, too. Have you ever seen such fudge, Katie? Too bad we didn't know how it was going to turn out. We could have patched that crack in the driveway. (laughs) Well, when I go to the bazaar tonight, I'm determined to take something I made all by myself. Now, what can I make that's sure to turn out all right? I know. What, Mrs. Kuga? I'll buy something at the store. <laughs> you always go to so much trouble for these charity bazaars, Mrs. Kugat. And what do they do with the money they take in? Well, the money from this particular bazaar is going to the old folks' home. Oh, the old folks' home. Mm-hmm. Well, that's nice. Uh, what are you going to buy them? Well, we've been talking about a dance floor. <laughs> well, if that didn't seem practical, we'll probably just give them the money. Oh, that's a much better plan. Yes, and they can go out and dance. <laughs> Hello, George. Liz, what are you doing down here at the bank? Oh, George, something terrible has happened. Oh, now take it easy, darling. Here, sit down. Now, what's the trouble? My cake dropped. Oh, did anyone kill? (laughs) George Cougat, this is no laughing matter. I've had nothing but bad luck today. I baked a cake for the bazaar and it fell. I made fudge and it turned to concrete. I went shopping. I bought a couple of nice cakes and a lot of candy. And now I'm right back where I started. Why? What happened? I left everything on the bus. <laughs> Darling, you're such a scatterbrain. Sometimes I think you'd forget your head if it weren't fastened on. Well, that would be one way to lose weight. I couldn't eat between meals. <laughs> and your hats would sit a lot lower, too. Oh, George, what am I going to do? I want to contribute something to the bazaar. Honey, why don't you go home and have Katie bake a cake and make some candy and everything will be fine. Well, there's one thing about my cooking. It's always good when Katie does it. Oh, George, why am I such a misfit in the kitchen? Why can't I cook? Oh, Liz, don't talk like that. I think you cook very well. You make delicious peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm, I'm pretty good at slicing watermelon, too. <laughs> Well, you'd better run along, darling. I've got to finish checking this money. All right, dear. Uh Uh-oh. I think you've got a counterfeit bill in there, George. A counterfeit bill? Which one? The one right there with Monopoly written across it. (laughs) Go home. How many cakes shall I bake, Mrs. Cougar? Two cakes, Katie, and a couple of pounds of candy. All right, ma'am, but we could have saved a lot of time if I'd done it in the first place. I know. I just wanted to try my hand. It seems to me, Mrs. Cougar, that every time you try your hand, you put your foot in it. (laughs) Hello? Hello? Liz? Yes, this is she. This is Mrs. Nedwick, dear. Chairwoman of the bazaar. (laughs) Oh, yes, Mrs. Nedwick. But I'm just going to ask a great favor of you. I need a girl to run a booth for me tonight. Run a booth? Oh, Mrs. Medwick, I'd be more than happy to run a booth for you. I haven't had much success with my baking or candy making today, and if you'd put me in charge of a booth, I'd feel I was doing my part. Splendid, dear. We'll have plenty of cakes and oodles of candy anyway. And this particular booth requires a special product. Which booth will I be in? The kissing booth. Oh. You'll sell them for 50 cents each. Oh, well, I... I don't know, Mrs. Medwick. I'm terrific in the house, but I haven't had much experience outside. Now, 
you wanted to help, and we do need you, it won't be a bit difficult. Oh, we'll be more than pleased if you take in, say, uh, $200. $200? That, that's 400 kisses. Now, Liz, think of the old folks. 400 kisses, and I'll be one of the old folks. <laughs> Anything for charity, Liz. Oh, and now maybe you can recommend a good man for the booth. A man for the booth? Yes. We decided to have a man in the kissing booth, too. For us girls, you know. Oh, yes. Well, um, Corey Cartwright, he's the one for that job. He's a bachelor, and I read in the paper he's very good at kissing. In the paper about Corey? Mm -hmm. Really? A scandal of some kind, dear? No, he took a half-page ad. <laughs> you can probably reach him through my husband. George will know where he is. Thank you, Liz, dear. I'll call George right away. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mrs. Kiswick, uh, Medwick. <laughs> Katie, you won't have to bother with the cakes or candy. Mrs. Medwick has assigned me to the kissing booth tonight. Oh, well, you look worried, ma'am. I am. I don't know how Mr. Cougat's going to take the news. Well, there's nothing wrong with working in the booth, Mrs. Cougat. I did it once at our high school carnival. Was it a kissing booth? Uh, not exactly, ma'am. They threw baseballs at me. <laughs> well, the kissing booth is different. They throw lips at you. I'm afraid Mr. Cougat will fly into a jealous rage when he hears about it. Mr. Cougat in a rage? Oh, that doesn't sound like the mister at all. He's kind and gentle. I remember the mouse traps he bought? The kind that don't kill the mice, just make a noise like a cat to scare them. <laughs> You don't know Mr. Cougat like I do, Katie. Before we were married, our friend Jimmy Paterno just tried to hold my hand one day, and George just lost his temper completely, stamped his foot on the ground, put his hands in his pockets, and said, All right for you. <laughs> I've heard stronger words than that on Guy Lombardo records. <laughs> Come on, George. What's up? You've had a smug sneer on your face ever since I picked you up at the bank. Well, Corey, I've been waiting to tell you about the charity bazaar tonight. Mrs. Medwick called me this afternoon, and I'm going to be in the kissing booth. You're going to be in the kissing booth? Yes. She said she had you in mind, but I didn't know where you were when she called, so to ensure having someone, she gave the job to me. What do you mean you didn't know where I was? I told you if anybody wanted me, I'd be down at the YWCA, sitting on the steps. <laughs> Oh, that's right, you did. That uh, must have slipped my mind. Slipped your mind, my eye. You deliberately did me out of my job. Your job? Yes. With you, it's just a novelty, George. With me, it's my life's work. <laughs> Corey, you may be pretty good at kissing, but face the facts. Sometimes the carpenter can do the electrician's work. Don't be ridiculous, George. You don't have anywhere near the voltage in your buzzer that I have. <laughs> Mr. Cartwright, dear friend. True, I am now a dignified, respectable banker. But allow your memory to take you back to our wild school days. I was the boy they nicknamed Devil Breath. <laughs> George, that title had nothing to do with your ability. You got it the night you kissed Myra Ponce and me down at the beach. She was smoking a cigarette, and you'd been siphoning gas. <laughs> yeah, I can still hear Myra saying, do it again, as we rode away in the ambulance. <laughs> just aren't built for this kind of work, George. Your lips are too thin. Well, your lips are too fat. Those are my shock absorbers for kissing on bumpy roads. 
you're just burned up because I got the job. All right, George, just forget about it. It's all right with me if you want to break up your home. Or have you told Liz? No, I haven't told Liz yet, but I will as soon as I get home. And Liz won't mind. It's for charity. Okay, George. I hear it's nice this time of year in Reno. <laughs> oh, you always try to stir me up. But I'm not the least bit worried about Liz. Why, Liz and I don't know the meaning of jealousy. Okay, George. Be gay. Be happy. There's so little time left. <laughs> oh, Cory, you can't worry me. I know Liz won't get sore. Why should she? It's for charity. Oh, Cory, you can't worry me. Uh, light my cigar for me, will you? I can't take my eyes off the road. Sure, I'll light your cigar, George. You sure you aren't just a little worried? Not the least bit. Then take that fountain pen out of your mouth. <laughs> oh, waiting for me, honey? Yes, George, there's something I want to talk to you about. Sit down. All right, dear. What's on your mind? The Charity Bazaar tonight. Oh, yes, the Charity Bazaar. Mm -hmm. Now... If you don't want to go, Liz, it's perfectly all right. I could just go over with Corey. Oh, no, I I'm going, George, but I thought perhaps you'd like to stay home because those bazaars bore you so much. Well, I, I won't be bored tonight. Oh? Well, in fact, I'm going to have a booth. Oh, well, that's fine. So am I. Oh, you are? Uh, which booth will you be in? Oh, just one of the booths, you know, one of the wooden ones with a little awning. <laughs> Oh, those, those are nice booths. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which booth will you be in? Oh, one of the wooden ones with a little awning. <laughs> those are the booths, aren't they? <laughs> yes, yeah. they are. What will you be selling? Uh, things. <laughs> what kind of thing? Oh, uh, things. With the uh, uh, tin foil and ribbons. Uh, well, you know, things. Uh, what are you selling? Uh... Stuff. Stuff. What, what kind of stuff? Uh, things. Oh, they're nice. Yes. Charity bazaars are fun, aren't they? Everyone doing something for charity. Selling taffy and hot dogs and operating dark games and the kissing booth and... Yes, I, I think it's wonderful the way people give up their time to sell popcorn and bake cakes, knit socks and... Work in the kissing booth. I wonder who's going to be in the kissing booth tonight. What noble, generous woman, for the sake of her community, has <laughs> has donated her time and lipstick to help this worthy cause. I understand a man's going to be in the kissing kissing booth too. Oh, some uh, staunch citizen, a charitable soul who will suffer through it to help others. George, I'm going to be in the kissing booth. You are. Now control yourself, George. Liz, I'm going to be in the kissing booth, too. I, I was afraid of you being angry. Darling, this is wonderful. We'll be together. <laughs> you were afraid to tell me for fear I'd be jealous, and I was afraid to tell you for the same reason. But there's no need for it. No, none at all, because neither of us is jealous. <laughs> we won't care who kisses who, will we? It's all for charity. All for charity. I don't care how many old ladies you kiss. Uh. <laughs> what about the young ladies? Oh, there probably won't be any young ones, just old ones Oh 
Well, I imagine there'll be quite a few old men there, too. You can kiss all the old men you like. <laughs> all for charity. We aren't jealous, are we, George? Of course not. All for charity. <laughs> George. Yes, Liz? Kiss me. Now? Right now. Charity begins at home. <laughs> You are listening to My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. This is the story of Mr. and Mrs. Cougar, of George and Liz, who tonight find themselves partners in a kissing booth at the Charity Bazaar. George will delight the ladies, and Liz will delight the men. Both have assured each other that there will be no jealousy. There they are, standing in the kissing booth, waiting for customers. Uh-oh, here comes one. Uh, oh, no, that's their friend, Corey Cartwright. George, I... Liz, what are you doing in there? I'm in the business, too, Corey. Oh. Well, haven't they overlooked something, George? Overlooked what, Corey? Well, I see the sign, kisses 50 cents. Naturally, that means Liz. Where's the nickel sign for you? <laughs> My kisses are the same price. Would you like to be my first customer, Corey? Oh, Liz, I couldn't kiss you. It wouldn't be fair to George. Well, you can buy one from him, too, if you like. <laughs> well, it isn't that, Liz. You like George now, but if I kissed you, well, grape juice is all right until you've tasted champagne. <laughs> then I can't sell you a kiss? No, Liz, let's not make old George unhappy now. Dad's getting along. Corey, I am not getting old. You can count my gray hairs on one hand. Oh, really, dear? Let me see. Which hand are they on? George, what are you staring at? Oh, ooh, a customer for Liz. You aren't getting burned up, are you, George? No, don't be silly, Corey. I'll just step to one side. Hello. Hello. I was talking to the girl, if you don't mind. <laughs> uh, the sign says for 50 cents I can kiss you. Is that right? That's right. Any limit on the number of kisses I can buy? Not that I know of. Well. Now, are we going to have fun or are we going to have fun? Well, I hope no one's waiting up for you. <laughs> Shall we proceed? Well, it's getting late. Guess we'd better close up. Close up? Hey, wait a minute. I got $8 I want to spend. Well, go spend your $8 on Coca-Cola. I would, only my swimming pool's full of water right now. What's the matter, George? Jealous? Certainly not, Corey. Don't feel slighted, Georgie. I'll give you something to keep your little hands busy. Here, you can hold my hot dog. George Cougar, you should be ashamed of yourself. After all, it's for charity. Mm -hmm. Look what's coming over here. Well, kiss is 50 cents. Oh, do I get to kiss you, you great big beautiful man? No, you have to kiss the fellow in the booth. Corey, she was talking to me. <laughs> I'm running a special today, miss. The first one's free, and the next two are for nothing. <laughs> this is my customer, Corey. How many would you like, miss? They're just chock full of goodness. <laughs> I'll take a lot of them. I'm such a charitable person. We're just closing. Liz. <laughs> Liz, you should be ashamed of yourself. After all, it's for charity. Well, I'm glad you feel that way, fella. Shall we get started on my $8, lady? We're just closing. I don't 
understand this. I came over here to do something for charity. Join the Salvation Army. Uh, say, Miss, as one would-be customer to the other, may I make a suggestion? What? I'll give you 50 cents and you kiss me, then you give me 50 cents and I kiss you. We ain't gonna get nowhere here. <laughs> It's been two hours, and I see the kissing booth is still going strong. How much have you taken in, Liz? Not a dime. Every time a man comes up, George interferes. He got violent with the last one. Violent? Liz, what do you mean, violent? I accidentally knocked his ice cream cone out of his hand. Right into his face. <laughs> How much money have you taken in, George? Nothing. Every time a woman comes up, Liz asks me if my, my upper plate's staying in all right. <laughs> oh, are you still having trouble with that? Corey, you know I don't wear one. Oh, of course. It's the lower, Corey. <laughs> I'm only kidding, but I do bear tidings from Mrs. Medwick. You being a banker, she wants you to come over and help her tally some receipts. But I can't leave Liz. I mean, the booth. The, the booth needs me. Come along, George. The booth could lose just as much money without you. Well, all right. I'll be right back, Liz. All right, George. Hello, dear. <laughs> I frighten you. Oh, I'm sorry. It really isn't my fault. This is the only face I've got. Well, there, there's nothing wrong with your face. No, I have nice features. They're just thrown together hideously. I don't believe I've ever met you before. Oh, my name's Leonard Estabrook. Oh, are you any relation to Helen Estabrook? Well... I'm her husband. Why are you whispering? We were married secretly, and she doesn't want anyone to know yet. How long have you been married? Twenty-seven years. <laughs> I've been circling you all evening, trying to get up courage to come over and talk to you. I circle everybody. And you know what? What? I get awfully dizzy. <laughs> well, then, why do you circle people? I like to get dizzy. I don't drink. Getting dizzy is my only vice. Do you have any vices? I eat crackers in bed. That's a strange way to get dizzy. Are you really selling kisses for 50 cents? Well, that's the general idea. If, if I gave you 50 cents, would you kiss me? Well, uh, yes. Oh! Oh! <laughs> What's wrong, Mr. Estabrook? All I have with me is a penny. <laughs> could you could you give me a penny's worth? The rules, Mr. Estabrook, 50 cents. Besides, my husband's very jealous. He hasn't allowed me to kiss anybody all evening. Oh, you're married. Yes. I don't blame your husband for being jealous. You're very beautiful. I wish I were as beautiful as you. <laughs> and then I guess it wouldn't it wouldn't help. It wouldn't? No. I don't have the figure to go with it. <laughs> my, my legs are skinny, but you can't tell it to look at me because I disguise them. Well, how do you disguise them? I wear trousers. <laughs> well, if you won't give me a kiss for a penny, I guess I'll just have to scrape up the difference. I wish I could look on the ground and find a 49-cent piece. <laughs> Thank you. 
How was uh, business while I was gone? Take a look in the cash drawer. The cash drawer? Mm-hmm. One, two, three, five. Liz, five dollars. Mm-hmm. I'd have made more. Only two of them were twins, and they sneaked one in on me. Uh, they all kissed you on the cheek, of course. I don't know. I had my eyes closed. Your little boy, Cory Cartwright, comes with joyous news. What could be good news? Well, after you left, I had a little talk with Mrs. Medwick, and it's all fixed up. You you mean Liz and I can leave? Nearly correct, old boy. You can leave. You've been transferred to the saltwater taffy booth. Yeah, but what about Liz? Oh, I'll be all right, George. You go ahead and sell the saltwater taffy. You look kind of pale. The sea air will be good for you. Mrs. Medwick? Oh, Mrs. Medwick. George, why aren't you in the taffy booth? Oh, I'm afraid it's too much work for me to handle alone. I, I'm going to need some help. I'm just swamped. Swamped? I I don't see a soul in front of the booth. Uh, well, business is so good, I, I had to turn them away. Oh, they're really buying that taffy. Eating it up like candy. I don't know who I can get to help you, George. How about Liz? Uh, yes, Liz. Why didn't I think of her before? She's marvelous at selling candy. Very experienced at it, too. She is? Oh, of course. Have you ever heard of Martha Washington chocolates? Oh, yeah. Well, Liz eats them all the time. (laughs) Taffy. Get your saltwater taffy. Nice, sticky, gooey, lumpy saltwater taffy. Hello, George. Well, Liz, what are you doing here? Mrs. Medwick told me to come over. Said you were rushed and needed help. Oh, indeed I do. Where are all the customers? Oh, they're around. Oh, here comes one now. Hello. Oh, hello, Mr. Estabrook. I have 26 cents now. I found a quarter. You did? Where? In an old pair of pants on an old man. (laughs) Well, now you're only short 24 cents. Yes, and I'm going to get it. Don't leave till I get back. Where are you going? Chicago. I know a man there who has 24 cents. You wait for me. So that's Helen Estabrook's husband. They say he isn't quite all there. Oh, he's all there, George. There's just something wrong with what's there. Well, Liz, here we are together in a booth again. Only this time it's a candy booth. Yes. Fate certainly does work in wondrous ways. Yes, fate certainly does. Of course, your little talk with Mrs. Medwick helps some. Oh, how'd you know? I went over to ask for the same thing, and you'd just left. You were going to ask to come over here with me? Yes. I love you, George. Wherever you go, I want to go, too. You know, Liz, there's not too much difference between this candy booth and the kissing booth. No. I guess it's all in the way you use it. George! Liz! Hey, George! Liz! What's the matter with you guys? This is the kissing booth over here. George. Yes, Liz. Are you asleep, Tootie Fruity? Tootie Fruity? When did you give me that name? Just now. Don't you think it's cute? Beautiful. <laughs> I'll have my business cards reprinted tomorrow. 
Tutti Fruity Cougat, the sweetest banker in town. <laughs> I'm glad you like my little pet names, George. Tutti Fruity. What do you want? Turnip Blossom. <laughs> do you love me more than anything else in the whole world? Yes, darling. I love you more than anything else in the whole world. If I were in the path of an oncoming truck, would you dash out and save me? How big a truck? <laughs> George. I'd save you, honey. George. Shh. George is asleep. What? I'm his friend, Tutti Fruity. Oh. <laughs> Did you see the devil's food cake I made this morning? Yeah, I saw it, Liz. What'd you what? think of it? It looked like the devil. <laughs> oh, I meant to tell you something. Remember tonight at the bazaar when you came back to the kissing booth and saw five dollars in the drawer? I'd rather not discuss it. I didn't kiss anybody. That was my money. Good night, favorite husband has been presented through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Stay tuned for Suspense next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for Suspense and the episode, The Green-Eyed Monster, starring Lloyd Nolan. And now, Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, Roma Wines present Suspense. Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Mr. Lloyd Nolan in Green-Eyed Monster. A suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those better-tasting California wines enjoyed by more Americans than any other wine. For friendly entertaining, for delightful dining. Yes, right now a glass full would be very pleasant. As Roma Wines bring you Lloyd Nolan in a remarkable tale of suspense. I got to sleep pretty late. I'd been reading a book about the Civil War, and I got interested in the section on Gettysburg. There was some material there I hadn't known about. I didn't sleep very well, even after I had turned off the bed light. You know, when you're accustomed to having someone else in the house, it's the sort of an uneasy feeling to know that you're alone. I remember hearing the clock in the front room strike four. Then I must have fallen asleep. I was dreaming, as I recall it, about a very bloody battle between the blue and the gray. When the alarm clock went off, it was set for seven because I knew I'd had a busy day ahead. It took me a little while to realize what it was because in the dream at that moment, I'd invented a bell that scared the opposing forces right off the field. Oh, it is nice quiet then. I lay warm in bed for a while, trying to remember my dream and not succeeding. 
when I did remember that I was alone in the house, that Margaret wasn't there to wake me up if I dozed off for just a few more minutes. I'd just gotten out of bed when the telephone made a loud early morning noise. I shoved my feet halfway into some slippers and muttered down the hallway. Uh. Yes? Sorry to disturb you. Is this Michael Dawson? Uh, a little early, but I think so. Do you drive a Pontiac convertible license number 99R479? Uh, yes. Where's your car now, Mr. Dawson? It's right in front of the house. What's up? Will you look and see if it's there? Say, uh, who is this? Police Department, Sergeant O'Connor. Oh, well, uh, just a minute. I thought it's awfully early in the morning for this to happen. It's awfully hard to think clearly when you haven't had a cup of coffee or a cigarette. I walked to the front window and my car wasn't there. And I went back to the phone, still thinking how hard it is to think clearly when it's early in the morning. Uh... Hello? Yeah, right here, Mr. Dawson. It's gone, the car. I just wanted to be sure. Your car was stolen last night, Mr. Dawson. It's pretty badly banged up. You insured? Well, I think so. I don't know. I suggest you report the theft to the insurance company and come down to the police garage with a pink owner's slip. Oh, all right. I'll, I'll be down as soon as I can. I got dressed, made coffee, drank it, had a cigarette, and I called Tommy Castle, my insurance man. I told him that the Pontiac had been stolen and what the cop had told me to do, and he said he'd drive me down to the garage. I had the pink slip on the desk, and I took it with me. It was a quarter to eight when Tommy picked me up in front of the house. We drove down to the police station and started walking around to the garage. You don't need to worry, Mike. You're very well covered. Now, aren't you glad that you took all the insurance I recommended? Well, I suppose so. Because you're very well covered. Well, that's swell, but if it's completely wrecked, where am I going to get another car? Ah, they can probably fix it like new, and it won't be long before the market will be flooded with new cars. Oh, uh, Mr. Dawson? Yes. Sergeant O'Connor. Oh. Car's over there, Mr. Dawson. Where? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, I see. Pretty smashed up. Now, let's look it over very closely, Mike. Mm-hmm. What a mess. Well, I, it serves me right for leaving it out in the street all night. Now, never would have happened if my wife had been home. No, Margaret is much more thorough than you are, Mike. Is uh, Mrs. Dawson a blonde about... Five feet three? Oh, yes. Yeah. Why, do you know her? Yeah. Is that your wife, Mr. Dawson? Stuffed in the trunk of the car was Margaret. She was wearing the same dress she'd had on the day... Tuesday it was. The day she'd gone to visit her mother. The whole scene was very clear. I can remember easily. Her face was smudged, and I thought she wouldn't like to be seen with her face dirty. And her clothes were badly rumpled. And just below the left shoulder blade, sticking up straight from her back, was the handle of a brass letter opener. I started to weave a little then. Hey, you all right, Mr. Dawson? Easy, Mike, easy. Come over here and sit down. Oh, I'm, I'm all right. Please, I'm all right. Sorry, I told you that way, but we had reasons. Reasons? Well, it seems to me that you could have been a little well, who more... Who could have of... done it? Who wanted to kill Margaret? She had a few little faults, the same as all of us. Who were on a kill of all of them? Here, now, here. Come on, sit down, sit down. Looks like our local Jack the Ripper again. Stabbing the whole general setup. He never did anyone any harm. You better take him home. In a minute, in a minute. Let him sit here a while. Oh, Margaret... Poor little blood, Mark. 
did that pretty well, don't you think? Because I wasn't surprised at all. I'd planned the whole morning. I didn't think it would all happen that early, but I knew it would happen. You see, I had stolen my car and left it wrecked for the police to find. And in the trunk of my car, I'd stuffed the body of my wife, Margaret, who I had stabbed in the back at 4.30 Tuesday afternoon. For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Lloyd Nolan in Green-Eyed Monster. Roma Wines presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. And now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Lloyd Nolan as Michael Dawson and Kathy Lewis as his wife Judy in Green-Eyed Monster. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. I was, of course, the prime suspect in the murder of my wife, Margaret. The only thing was that there had been a series of crimes in my neighborhood during the last couple of months. Crimes that all followed a general pattern. And since I was clever enough to fix Margaret's murder so that the death was as neat as the others had all been, it was decided at the coroner's inquest that the murder had been committed by a person or persons unknown, by which they meant the Jack the Ripper character that was running around loose. And I wasn't held. I waited a decent week after it was all over. And then I called Judy. My Judy. Oh, she was so beautiful. She was tall and brunette and willowy and beautiful. With the loveliest green eyes you ever saw. She answered the phone right away and said she'd be right over. Come in, honey. You're the most beautiful thing in the world. I'll bet you say that to all the girls. Come here. My. Really, everybody in the street will see it. Oh, it's okay. Say, where'd you get that dress? An old aunt gave it to me. It didn't fit her anymore. Mm-hmm. It fits you. Thank you. Come on in. In the kitchen. Have you a new recipe for poached eggs? No, I want to tell you something. A story, Mike, so early? A story. A beautiful story about a lovely brunette and a guy who's nuts about her. Who could you mean? Come here, will you? Yeah. You're very friendly today. Well, you shouldn't have worn that dress. This is the way it affects you. I wear it all the time. Have you missed me? Sure. Have you missed me a lot? Naturally. You love me, don't you? Of course I love you. You rehearsing for your bar exam? Come on. Sit down there. All righty, I'll sit down here. Cup of coffee? A cup of coffee. Okay. There you are. Don't you want some? Uh-uh, no. Sworn off? No, I... I have something to tell you. I'm sorry about your wife. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was quite a blow. <laughs> I'll bet. What do you mean by that? I thought you said you loved me. Well, I do. Then you aren't too sad about Margaret, are you? Well, it... well it's a shame that she had to end up that way. You know how those things are. Give me a kiss and stop talking so much. Uh, new perfume? Mm-hmm. Where'd you get it? Where'd you get it? 
Well, really, do you own me or something? I want to know where you got that perfume. Well, sit down and relax. What's the matter with you? I had to slap your face. You do, and I'll slap you right back. Judy, I love you. Of course you do. Well, that's what I want to know. I get jealous. Naturally. Do you love me? Sure. You, you don't act like you love me. You want me to gaze at you with great fawn eyes? No, no, of course not. What do you want? I want you to tell me that you love me. Why? Because I... Go on. Well, I've proven how much I want you. I I think that you should return the feeling. How have you? Have what? Proven how much you want me. Why, by telling you over and over again that I love you, by loving you more than Margaret. Why? By killing Margaret? What? You heard me. What makes you think I killed Margaret? Didn't you? Now, look, Judy. Now, this is a pretty tough way to treat me. Didn't you? Yes. Then I love you. Kiss me, Mike. She loved me. She really loved me. That's all I cared about. All I could think about. Oh, she was so wonderful. She just... We got a little house in Glendale and were married out there where nobody knew us. And then that first evening, the first hour almost, that we were alone together in our own home, somebody came to the door. Well, it was Tommy Castle. He barged in. He talked and talked about insurance. And uh, yours too, Mrs. Dawson. That's why... Well, that's why I feel it's my privilege, yes, my duty to talk to you this way. Now, uh, I'm the last one in the world who wants to stir up any unhappy memories, but... Well, if you remember, Mike, I urged you repeatedly to take out a joint life insurance policy on yourself and on your, uh, well, that is the farmer... You uh, mean Margaret. uh, Yes, yes, thank you, thank you. Well, uh, you know what happened? What happened, Mr. Castle? Why, he never took out the insurance. And so when Margaret, uh, when the, uh, 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 I mean, she simply wasn't insured. Maybe that's just as well, Mr. Castle. Well, I'm afraid I don't follow you, Mr. Castle. Well, if Mike had collected any insurance when Margaret was killed, those silly policemen, you... You know how they are. They they might have thought Mike had what, some Judy? reason. Well, uh, as I was saying, now you two are just married. A whole new life ahead for you, and now is the time to think about the future. Now, listen, I don't like this whole conversation. This is no way to talk to a man on his wedding day. Oh, but, Mike, that's where you're wrong, my boy. This is just the way to talk to a man on his wedding day. Now, can I talk to you for just a second, Mike? Five minutes. No, 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 please. Please don't go, Mrs. Dawson. This will only take a second. Now, listen, Tommy, this is our wedding Mike, day. Mike, Mike, listen. You ought to sign an application on Judy's life. Why, do you know how many women are killed in automobile accidents every year? And here, here in Los Angeles, this, uh, this Jack the Ripper character only kills women, you know? Why, all I tell right, you. all right, let me sign it. And please, Tommy, will Why, you? sure, sure. Yeah, there we are. Uh, of course, you'll have to take a physical examination, but that'll be nothing to a youngster like you, you know. Folks, I can't tell you how much this is going to mean to you when... Now, what did I do with my hat? Oh, yeah, there, there it is, there it is. I can't tell you how much Mr. this Castle, is going... Huh? are you going straight back into town? Uh, yes, 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 I am. Uh, anything I can do? I think I'll ride in with you, if what? you don't mind. Well, yeah, I'd be delighted. Oh, Judy! I'm sorry, Mike, I forgot to tell you. An old girlfriend of mine called me today. She's in town just the one night, and I told her I'd see but her. But, Judy, it's... it's a... I know, but just one of those things, dear. Are we ready, Mr. Castle? Uh, yeah, ready? Sure, sure, I'm ready, uh, don't worry, darling. Don't wait up. Well, I just stood there. I didn't know what to say or what to do. Our wedding night. I moved the curtain aside and watched her go down the walk with Tommy. 
She was holding onto his arm real tight, too tight. She smiled up at him. I went into the living room and tried to read Sandberg's Lincoln. It's quite a book, five big volumes. Oh, but I couldn't read. By midnight, I was in a blind rage. I was going to get in the car and go look for her. I, I was going to call the police. And a minute later, I was in a cold sweat of fear that something might have happened to her. And then back to a blind, scalding jealousy again. Finally, it got to be 3.30 in the morning. Tommy? Is that you, Tommy? Huh? Oh. Oh, Mike. I, I just came in. I heard the phone ringing and ran up the stairs. I, I'm a little out of breath. Where's Judy? Huh? Judy? Oh, you mean the missus? Well, I don't know. Didn't she? Where did you see her last? Why, I I let her out at sunset on Western, and that was about... Oh, no, you did, did you? Well, of course I did. Good gosh, Mike. You don't think that I... Uh, uh... Hello, darling. I told you not to wait up. It's four o'clock in the morning. I know, darling. I'm sorry. Poor Ethel wanted to talk about her troubles. I just couldn't bear to leave. And I smell coffee. Poor Ethel. This was our wedding night. Darling, you're white as a sheet. You're trembling. But sure I am. Wondering about at this hour and this... This Jack the Ripper character. What was that? Where have you been? What have you been doing? I just told you. Ethel, darling. Now listen to me. Listen to me. If you ever do a thing like this again. Now, darling, you listen to me. You're not going to try to run my life for me, are you? Your life? I'm thinking about our life. I'm thinking about the... Mike, that's what I'm thinking about, our life. And that's not all I'm thinking about. Well, all right, then. I'm thinking about Margaret. Margaret? You mustn't be like this, darling. You must promise me not ever again. Because I don't think Margaret would like it. She couldn't have made it much plainer, could she? And that's the way it was. From then on, my life was a nightmare. Someone you're crazy in love with and crazy jealous of. Wondering where they are, who they're with. Not able to do a thing about it. Sometimes I'd think it was getting better. It was going to be all right. She'd stay at home for days at the stretch or a couple of weeks. And then it would begin all over again. She'd just take the car and go. Always some girlfriend, she said... (laughs) girlfriend. So finally, I guess I did go a little crazy. I had to know one way or the other. So one night when she was getting ready to go out, I went to the garage. I jimmied the lock on the trunk compartment of the car so she couldn't be snapped shut again, and I crawled in, pulled the lid down after me. It must have been crazy because it, it never even crossed my mind until I was lying in there all scrunched up in the dark about the last time anybody'd been in there. I mean, Margaret. quite a while. It almost seemed as though she was just cruising around. I mean, not not heading for any place in particular. Finally, she stopped. I heard her get out of the car and go in somewhere. When I was sure she had gone, I cracked the lid of the trunk open and looked out. It was dark. She was going into a crummy little cafe. She was in there a long time. And when she came out, there was somebody with her. It was a girl. There we are. No trouble. I'll drive you home. Kind of a long way. I could get a taxi. I don't mind. Go ahead. Get in. Well, thanks. 
it was a girl trying to. This time, anyway. And then the car was stopping. I cracked the lid of the trunk again. It was a nice night. The convertible top was down, and I heard it all. But this isn't the way. Why are we stopping? You'll find out. Get out. Get out? Don't argue. Get out. Say, if this is your idea of a joke or something, all I can say... As the car roared off, I had a glimpse of it lying there by the road, the girl's body, with a knife in the back, dead. After the car was back in the garage, it seemed as though I lay in that dark trunk for hours. Shaking, trembling all over. After a while, I crawled out of the trunk, all cramped and stiff, and went into the house. And there she was in bed. She looked at me with those half-closed eyes. Those lovely, lovely green eyes. And then she turned over with a little sigh and, and was fast asleep. I lay there in bed staring into the darkness. The only answer that seemed to make any sense was that I was losing my mind because of what I'd done to Margaret, maybe. That I'd imagined the whole thing. But the next morning, there it all was in the papers. More murder pictures. Fiend strikes again. Fiend. That was my Judy. My lovely, wonderful Judy. The woman I was in love with. From then on, I watched her like a hawk. Day and night, I never let her out of my sight. I hardly slept at all. I did things like letting the air out of the tires so she couldn't use the car. Like hiding everything in the whole house that was sharp or pointed. Knives, ice picks, scissors, letter openers. And Judy, she was wonderful. Calm. Serene, apparently without the faintest idea of what was in my mind. I watched her, and I began to think what I had before. That somehow it must have been a terrible mistake. That was what I was thinking last night. Here we are. I brought you some tea and Malva toast, darling. Oh. You're looking better, I think. Well, thanks. Thanks, Judy. By the way, whatever happened to that letter opener? The new one we used to have on the desk. The, uh... The what? The letter opener. What do you want it for? To open letters, silly. First of the month, there's a stack of bills in there that high. You're you're not thinking of going out, are you? You don't know where that letter opener is? No. No, I don't. I guess I can find something else that will do just as well. I had the letter open, of course, but I, I didn't tell her. I didn't dare. I could feel it inside my inside pocket as I lay there on the couch in the den where I could watch the front hall and the living room door. I heard her fussing around upstairs for a while and then she came down and I I heard the back door close. She was going to the garage. As I got up, I could feel the letter opener pressing against my side. It was a terrible pain in my head. I don't know exactly what happened after that. 
the next thing, the phone was ringing, and it was morning. I got up off the couch, and I stumbled out into the hall to answer. And I'm always groggy in the morning, but before I've had my coffee and a cigarette, but this morning it was as though I'd been drugged or something. I couldn't think at all. Hello. Mr. Dawson? Michael Dawson? Yeah, yeah. You drive a Pontiac convertible license number 99R479? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the number. Why? Well, we've got your car, Mr. Dawson. Your insurance agent, Mr. Castle's down here already. Oh, he is? We'd like you to come down here right away and bring your pink owner's slip. Oh, wait. Uh, who's this? This is the police department. I was still pretty much in a fog when I got down there. I couldn't quite figure things out. My car must have been stolen again. Really stolen this time. Wrecked, I suppose. And where was... Where was Judy? Maybe she'd wrecked it. Or maybe they'd caught her. No, but then they'd have told me about it, not just asked about the car. Tommy met me outside. He must have been waiting for me. How are you feeling, old man? I... All right, I guess. Uh, I'm afraid you're in for kind of a shock. Well, is it pretty bad? Pretty bad. Oh, there he is now. Mr. Dawson? Yes. Come this way, please. Is, uh, that your car, Mr. Dawson? Yes. Yes, but it, it isn't right. There doesn't seem to be anything the matter with it at all. Lift up the trunk, will you, Sergeant? Yes, sir. She was lying in there with her head twisted around staring at me with those lovely sightless green eyes dead Judy my Judy and the letter opener was in her back you'll come around in a minute better get a snogger he'll probably want to make a statement now you all right now old man yeah, sure. Well, you can't pay the insurance, of course, you know. You understand that. Insurance? Uh, the life insurance on, on Judy. But I'll get your lawyer to do anything I can. Lawyer? Don't you think you're going to need one, Mr. Dawson? Oh, I'll take care of all that. One accident, that's one thing. But two, two wives, both in your car. Now there's your letter opener with your fingerprints on it. It won't go, Mr. Dawson, not anymore. Oh. And then, of course, there are all the others, seven of them that you killed in the last three months. That I killed? Now, now, Mr. Dawson, you're not going to give us any trouble, are you? No. No. <laughs> No, I'm not going to give you any trouble. Well, I guess... I, I guess I killed her all right. I, I must have. I didn't kill the others, of course, but I confessed to them I was glad to. I'd rather have them think that it was me than Judy. My beautiful, green-eyed Judy. I've, I've got lots of... Time to read. I'm almost through the third volume now of that Life of Lincoln. Only two more volumes to go. They're pretty long, pretty thick, but I think I'll make it just about. Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, Roma, America's favorite wines. This is Truman Bradley bringing back for a curtain call our suspense star of the evening, Lloyd Nolan. 
Lloyd, ever since I saw you in Lady in the Lake, I've been wanting to ask you how you like acting directly into the camera. You know, talking and looking right at the lens as if it were an individual. Well, I, I really, I enjoyed it, but it was a little tough. Acting is easier when you're talking to another person. It sort of helps to watch his reactions, see his expressions change as you deliver the lines. You know? Well, Lloyd, if you like to watch reactions, just try this idea, will you? To see your friend's expressions reflect pleasant anticipation, serve them Roma Californian Sherry from this hamper of Roma wines. Yours to enjoy with the compliments of Roma, the greatest name in wine. Well, thanks, Truman. I will. I'm sure you'll find, as I do, that everyone enjoys Roma Sherry. For this golden amber, fragrant wine with its tempting nut-like taste is so good so many ways. Roma Sherry is the perfect first call to dinner. The ideal start to a pleasant meal every day. And Roma Sherry is delightful and right for friendly entertaining any time. That's right, Truman. Roma Sherry is always the best of taste. Yes, Roma Sherry does taste better. Because Roma selects the better tasting wines from the world's greatest wine reserves. That accounts for the delightful difference in Roma wines. The fuller bouquet, richer body, and the better taste. That's why more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. Three very good reasons, Truman. Well, thank you and good night. Lloyd Nolan appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox, producers of The Late George Apley. Tonight's suspense play was written by Elliot Lewis and Robert Richards. Next Thursday, same time, you will hear Mr. Richard Conte as star of Suspense. Produced and directed by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me next week for more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.